there is nothing like a fearful dog coming into your life to make you second guess everything you thought you knew about dogs. podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Okay, hello everyone. I am here today with a couple guests. This is my first time recording with multiple guests, so this is going to be new for me and for everyone. And I've been wanting to do a dog mom and dad roundtable. Now, of course, before the pandemic hit, I had sort of envisioned maybe doing these in person. But as we know, 2020 has not gone according to plan for anyone. So for today's topic, we're going to talk about shy and fearful dogs. And my friend Mindy, who you may remember from episode number two, she has recently adopted a new dog into her family that she's going to tell us about who we're just calling New Girl for now because she doesn't have a name, a solid 100% final name yet. Um, And then I have Liz from episode seven, who is going to remind us about her dog Millie and all that she's done to build a rapport with Millie and help her get over her fear, as well as update us on the changes to her family since we last talked to her. And I also have a very special guest of my husband, Tim, here with us today. And our boy, Nino, is very fearful and Nino has always been Tim's boy. Tim's the one who first saw his photo online and uh, Tim and Nino are the ones who have have bonded uh, in our household the most. So I wanted to have him weigh in on the work that we have done with Nino over the years. So welcome everybody and let's get started. So Tim, I thought we could start with you um, talking about Nino. And do you want to tell everyone the story of how we found Nino and what he was like when we first brought him home? Okay. Um, I saw a listing that Barks had posted online. Um, It was an urgent listing. He had been in the shelter for a few months and was not really doing so well in there. Um, He was great with other dogs, uh, did well in their play groups, but I looking back he i think the noise of the shelter was probably the thing that was most unnerving for him um he doesn't particularly like small confined spaces either so barks had posted um online that they were looking for adopters saw it instantly fell in love with his picture um bugged you and told you that we needed to bring him home (laughs) and then uh, the rest is history from there. Uh, we went to the adoption event that they had not far from our house. Uh, we got to meet him, and that was just confirmation of what I already knew, which was that he needed to come home with us. 
And do you remember what he was like when we first met him? It was very strange. He was the most laid back, chilled dog I think I've ever seen. Um, he just didn't really seem to be interested in anyone or anything. But then we quickly realized within the next couple of days that that was not actually his nature to be that calm and relaxed. It was just that he was completely shut down that day. There was a lot of people there. Um, and I think that was just his way of kind of disassociating. And do you remember what it was like when we brought him into our house those first few days? Bizarre. <laughs> He'd would hear a noise and flatten out on the floor. Um, he did not want any part of getting in a car. He did not like anyone coming near the house. Um, he it, it took a while for him to warm up to us. Um, he just he seemed to really just disengaged. And how would you describe him today? Oh my God, he's in a lot of ways he's night and day difference um, from how he was then. And then in some ways there's still a lot of things that have kind of never really gone away. And we've just had to come to accept, you know, that that's that's just who he is. So we need to change how we do things to accommodate that. Um, but he's in a lot of ways he's done significantly better. The connection that he has with his family is just awesome. Um, but he absolutely still wants no part of strangers. Um, he is very happy in his house, in his yard, and he enjoys going on walks, but that's the extent of it. Um, he doesn't really, doesn't really like new experiences. He likes routine. He likes to know what he can expect. I can confirm that Nino definitely does not like visitors and he does not like people outside of his bubble and you can't fault him for that, but I concur. Yeah. He is so different from our other dogs that we've had, you know, especially Penny, but even Lucy and Kalua. Um, so that was definitely, you know, because we have pit bulls, I think it's always sort of been important to us that we have like the pit bull ambassador kind of dogs and show off what good dogs they are. And it's not that he's not a good dog. It's just that we had to readjust our expectations of, of him because he does not want kids petting him and, you know, people petting him and, and things like that. Yeah. So we've had to really adjust our expectations on that. That's a good way of pointing it out, though, that some dogs, you just, you can't change them and you have to change yourself to help them, you know, find their rhythm in like their new lives with you. Absolutely. So, Liz, do you want to first give us a little update on all the changes to your family since you and I had talked um, for episode seven? Sure. And then also just remind us about Millie and what it was like uh, with her being so fearful in the beginning. Yeah, I'll start with Millie just because in the context of the new additions, um, I think her background is important. Um, so 
I adopted Millie very soon after who I refer to as my soul dog died. Um, he was a very easy dog. He was a very friendly dog. Um, he had no fear at all. <laughs> he was just the, a happy guy. Um, kind of the type of dog that you think of when you see dogs on, you know, like Hallmark movies <laughs> that are just easygoing. Um, and I had a great 12 years with him. And I never, I guess it never occurred to me before that all dogs weren't like him, that some dogs can be more difficult and more challenging and have fearfulness. So I kind of impulsively adopted Millie. And I say impulsively in the sense that I knew I def I wanted to adopt another dog. I was really grieving. And as I talked about in um, episode seven, I just felt like getting a new dog would make it better. And, um, I wasn't able to find one quick enough. Uh, it's very competitive. A lot of the dogs that were in rescues that I saw were already being adopted. So I was sort of feeling defeated. So I went to a shelter and literally chose the first dog I saw. She was being walked outside by a volunteer and I was like, dibs, she's mine. <laughs> um, and she seemed fine. Much like Tim said, you know, when she was at the shelter, I remember she was walking with a volunteer and when I met her, she was licking my face and she was only five months old then. So she was, you know, like being a puppy and happy. Uh, and then she had to get spayed for, um, so we didn't pick her up until like three days after that. And I remember picking her up. Um, and she was a different dog. Like she was afraid of us. She was afraid to get into our car. And this is a young dog. Um, when we got home, she was terrified of walking into a house. And I soon realized like something was not right. And I'll never really know what happened. Um, like why there was such a drastic change. Um, and I guess it doesn't really matter, you know? Um, but I, I really struggled with those fearful behaviors. Um, and it took a lot of time for me as someone who really wasn't an experienced dog owner in that sense, um, to even learn about resources that could help me like needing a trainer and eventually going on psych meds and, um, and just learning myself how to help her, I guess. Um, so, th so that was a struggle and, you know, it's not totally resolved. I remember when I got her, you know, and she, we would walk. I love to walk. That's like, that was like my reason for wanting a dog. One of my like top reasons was like, I love to walk and I love to hike. And I wanted someone to share that with. And, um, she has a noise phobia, a really, really bad noise phobia. And she, if she hears something, it can even be far out in the distance, I might not even be able to totally hear it, but she'll kind of like pancake on the ground. And it's almost like you feel like if you keep walking her, you're going to strangle her. So you have to stop. And it's so sad. Like, I feel so bad for her. Um, she just gets terrified. And some days it's worse than others. Some days we can kind of work through it a little bit, but, um, but it's really frustrating. And it's been kind of an ongoing frustration throughout the time I've had her. Um, because it was like, you know, like, everyone else has said, it's like, you know, my expectations were different than the reality of what I had. Um, and that's, it's hard sometimes still, like I said, um, but I just learned to adjust my expectations. Um, and that, that was something that really grew me up in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, I feel like it, 
it made me a different kind of dog parent. Like I became like her protector in a lot of ways. Um, in the beginning when we had her, she would like growl at kids and it was like mortifying for me because I never wanted a dog that would do that. Or I live in a neighborhood with a lot of kids. So it was so embarrassing. Um, but I realized like I would have to just be more assertive and tell people like, you know what, can you stay away? You know, she needs her space. Um, and it was my responsibility to kind of keep this girl safe in the world, um, in a world that she was really afraid of. And, you know, we made the, we made the most of it over the years. Um, we've been through like agility classes, which has increased her confidence so much. And she's made so many strides and she's not nearly as afraid as she used to be at all. Um, she lets people go up to her now. Um, most of the time she can be touched. Um, and she's just a lot more laid back. Um, and she'll never be the dog I had hoped for or the dog I had expected. And I don't mean that in an, in a bad way. I mean that in just like an honest way, but we worked through it together and she became my dog. And I think there's a lot that goes into like having the ability to work with a dog like that. So yeah, that's kind of my story on how I acquired, acquired Millie. And then, um, recently we got, um, we adopted a dog in January and she is like the most precious little thing. She's, we joke that she could be Millie's service dog, like emotional support dog, because (laughs) Millie um, functions so much better when she's around. Um, they just are constantly together. And I feel like Millie has found her safe, like her safe companion in a way that humans couldn't be. Um, and she can be like dog selective in some ways. She's pretty good with other dogs, but this dog, I mean, they just, um, they just really complete each other and it's a really beautiful thing to see. So that was, um, interesting for me because I've never, never expected to have two dogs. (laughs) Um, and uh, I love it. I do love it. And, and Ethel can kind of fill a need that Millie can't sometimes because if I want to go for a long walk, like Ethel's always up for it. She's not afraid of noise. And similarly, Millie will walk longer because she sees her sister being brave and confident. So it's really it's really been nice um, to have that. I feel like it really like completed our family. And then just recently we, um, took in a hospice dog about three weeks ago and, um, his name is Dusty and he, so he, he reminded me of my soul dog, Tovi. He's very similar in his temperament and his appearance. Um, and I just saw this 14 year old dog who's has a lot of ailments. He's, he's not doing well. Um, but I just, like wanted him. And I knew that I wanted to take care of him. And it was definitely some weird, like psychological thing, probably that I'm trying to like resave Toby, <laughs> but, um, but we adopted him and that's been a really nice experience. It's been a little hard having an older dog with two young dogs. They don't, not that they bother him at all because they, they sense that he doesn't play. Um, but just in terms of like going on so many more walks a day, cause having to walk them all separately, um, and the time it takes to make sure he takes all his meds and eats food and, and things like that. But it's, it, I feel like complete in a different day. It's in a different way. It's almost like he's the dog that I like wanted from the beginning, if that makes sense. Like he's just, he's just very calm and he like soothes my soul in a, in a way that, that Millie never did. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all, even though it might come off that way. I think the main point was the um, the thing about realizing that it might not be the dog that you want, but it's the dog that you now have. So maybe you need to reevaluate 
you know, your expectations and realize that the dog is counting on that. And people that do that end up having a much better bond with that dog. Completely agree. Mindy, do you want to tell us the story of how you got your new girl? And also update us on the changes to your family uh, since we talked to you in episode two. Okay, so last time we talked in episode two, I um, told you and your listeners about my heart dog, Magic, that I had uh, recently lost. And I had adopted a senior kind of hospice case to have something to take care of and nurture because I'd been so used to caring for her you know, the last year while she was so sick. We recently had to uh, euthanize our old girl, which was sad, but I kind of knew that going in when I adopted her. And then the pandemic hit and all of these shelters I saw online and animal rescue organizations were, we need help. We're getting dogs turned in. Uh, People think that their dogs are going to give them the virus. So I thought that there was a surplus of dogs needing homes And that really got me kind of researching and thinking about getting another dog. So I started applying for all these dogs that were in need of homes. And I kind of found that it was a race. Like everyone else had the same idea I did. And um, I was getting really um, kind of hopeless with the search because I applied for four or five dogs, maybe with three different rescues and By the time I got approved, there were literally 40 people in front of me waiting for any dog at all. Um, So it was kind of like when Liz walked into the shelter and was like, I'll take that dog. Um, So people are like, as soon as a dog would pop up available with that rescue that, you know, I was approved through or waiting to be approved through, um, they would just take the first dog that came up. Um, So when I finally realized um, the day that one rescue had like 40 people on their waiting list already approved for these homeless dogs. I happened to be in one of my Facebook groups and someone was asking about um, working dogs. They're called livestock guardian dogs. I don't know if you guys remember, I live on a small farm and it's six acres. So I'm in several farming groups and um, a woman posted that she had a bunch of extra Australian shepherds on her farm. She breeds them there and uses them there as working dogs. Um, She has sheep and goats and honestly a little bit of everything there. So I thought, well, my messenger, I like Australian Shepherds. They're cute. Um, I hear they're, they're, you know, a good dog, but you never know what you're going to get. So I messaged the woman and I specifically said, do you happen to have a dog that still has its tail? Um, I guess because of them working in the field, they always dock Australian Shepherds tails at birth. And I really don't like the idea of that. And she actually had one that still had its tail. Apparently what had happened is a couple wanted to get a puppy from her, um, in one of her litters and they had picked out this dog here who I have not named yet. They picked out this little girl and said, don't, don't, you know, dock her tail. We'll take her. Well, the deal fell through. And, uh, that was about a year ago that she was, um, supposed to go home with this family um, that changed their mind, and she's now too old to humanely dock her tail, um, according to the farm owner. So um, I get a few pictures of her. They're not very good, but she's cute. She's fluffy. You know, she's a dog, and I really wanted a dog. 
and the woman was in a local Facebook group. So I asked where she lived, and she told me, you know, she's like three states away. So I discussed it with my husband. You know, I'm thinking about going to meet this dog, um, possibly take this dog that um, lives on a farm in Virginia with, you know, a bunch of other herding dogs. So I drove down there, and um, I got there in person. It was uh, six hours each way, I think driving by myself. I have a lot of health issues. So it was really a big adventure for me to do this myself to go get my new little dog. Um, when I got there, uh, first time I saw her, I thought, oh my gosh, she's way more beautiful than I ever thought she could be um, in her pictures. Uh, she has one blue eye and one brown eye. She has a beautiful white blaze up her face. She's unbearably cute. Um, and I'm not biased. Everyone has told me that so far. Then the woman, the farmer woman told me that, um, laughingly that, oh, this is her first time having a collar put on and she's mad at me for putting a collar on her. And she's, she's holding my new dog, but my new dog is not happy and she might start barking now. I think she sees a deer in our backfield. Um, so if you hear barking, it's her. So to skip through that part, um, basically we went over health and, and I put her in the back seat and I tried to put her in a collar, um, in a leash and she was not having it. She pancaked to the ground. Like she was shaking when I took her and I really wondered if I was doing the right thing, taking her away from her environment. But, I mean, I don't think it was a great environment because I think, like, she's semi-feral. She's not socialized to humans at all. I think the dogs run free in the fields all day long um, based on a couple videos I got. And um, they're crated at night, and their crates are stacked, uh, which is never a good sign. And then um, as I was turning around to leave, there were many kennels in the backyard. So... I know a lot of people um, kind of treat working dogs as tools, and it was clear that that's kind of how these dogs were raised and used. And uh, my girl had just kind of went off on her own for like an entire year while she was growing up. She didn't make a move the entire drive home. Uh, she just laid pancaked in the back seat. Um, when I finally did get home with her hours and hours later, um, she didn't want to come out. Like I said, she was shaking. And our first memory of being home together is me finally pulling her out of the car. I realized the entire drive home that this dog probably has never walked on a leash. And she's probably never been loose in a house. And so the whole way home, I'm just thinking, I got to get her home and I got to get her into a two-week shutdown, which... Um, is something that I feel like a lot of rescue dog people use. And it's just a way to decompress a dog um, and let them relax because they're in a new environment. So doing the two-week shutdown with her, she has her own little crate. She has a spare bedroom all to herself. And, like, I go in there and just sit with her um, quietly a few times a day, try to get her to take some treats from me. And um, she was miserable. Um, she would shake and urinate whenever I tried to pick her up to get her to go outside. Um, I, I thought I was doing the right thing. I felt like that's what you're supposed to do. So finally I talked to a dog trainer, um, 
mutual friend of Aaron and myself and said, I have this new dog and I think I'm doing everything wrong. Um, should I leave her on this shutdown by herself if she seems miserable? And my friend said, you know what you're doing. Just go with your instinct. So we released her from her two-week shutdown and just kind of slowly let her integrate with everyone in the house, and it went incredibly smooth. And then the first time I decided to take her off her leash that she absolutely hated in the yard, um, which is fenced in, um, that was the first time she kind of made eye contact with me and showed me some physical affection. So it's been a hard road so far, even though it's a really short road. She seems to be mostly house trained. Um, things still scare her, and I think they always will. Um, flags, um, any you know, new or strange noise, much like Tim talked about Nino. Um, and I picture me going through the same thing Liz did uh, with Millie because. I kind of want a dog that is like my ride or die and will go everywhere with me and go hiking and stuff. And if she never likes it, that's fine. Um, but I would like to start working on that kind of stuff with her. And I'm just picturing like, will she ever enjoy um, being out of her safe spot? Because she seems so um, just so fearful at everything. And I, I can't blame her. Um, but she's... Uh, She's doing really well, I think. We are currently working on leash training, which um, is simply tying a piece of paracord um, to her for a few minutes a few times a day and just giving her treats. And she absolutely hates it. So how long ago, I guess we're recording this uh, on June 13th, so how long ago has it been since you brought her home? Maybe two weeks. Oh, okay. She's really new. Um, so she's been here about two weeks and she went to the vet yesterday for her first time. And um, I'm very happy to report she did not pee on them. So <laughs> she's already, you know, leaps and bounds. And I always am frustrated when people adopt a dog or a cat and take it back the next day when they're a different dog or cat every day that they're receiving love and learning to trust like their new family. Um, so if somebody had picked this girl up from a shelter, they would have probably taken her back the next day. But um, I mean, months down the road, years down the road, she's going to be evolving and changing. Well, one of the things that you're going through right now, which is why I was, um, I really wanted, you know, all of us to have this conversation is because you know, I, I think Tim and I remember, and and I think Liz, you know, kind of articulated it well as well that like when you first bring them home and, you know, you kind of have this like vision in your head of like getting this new dog and it's going to be so great. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> this isn't what I thought. And, and it's kind of hard and it's kind of emotional. And, you know, Tim and I have always sort of joked about how we never get the like, you know, the hallmark moment of like the dog that's like running to you, like, this is the happiest day of my life, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, with Nino in particular, like that was so, such a strong feeling, you know, and, and you're, you are, you're, you're doubting yourself, you're doubting all of your, you know, decision-making, um, 
and and you just want to like want them to be like it's okay like it's safe you're safe here this is going to be good and um and it's like so disappointing when they they don't get it right away and 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 you know it really is such an emotional journey and and I do remember that yeah um I just wanted I had a void I wanted to fill of course and I wanted to take care of something so I'm not super frustrated with the fact that she's scared and she needs help. Like I'm really embracing that right now. Um, but the other reason I kind of wanted a dog, um, for myself is all of the other animals in the house, like gravitate towards my husband. So we'll be laying in bed, um, you know, before going to sleep, reading a book and there are three animals on his side of the bed and I am on my own side of the bed, um, without my dog at my feet. But, um, she is 110% attached to me already. Um, she loves taking naps. She's curled up at my feet right now. So um, as far as that aspect, it's working out perfectly. <laughs> she is your girl. Yeah, we've already uh, done some serious bonding in the last two weeks. There is nothing like a fearful dog coming into your life to make you second guess everything you thought you knew about dogs. Agree. <laughs> yeah, Tim, you said that that really well too. And Mindy, I can relate to everything that you said, and um, you articulated that journey really well. One thing that um, I work at a shelter, and one thing that I've noticed is, you know, we get a lot of t- dogs that are that are tough, that are challenging. They're amazing, amazing dogs, but they're going to need an owner that is willing to put in that work, and not everyone is, and not everyone knows what they're prepared for and that they can handle until they actually get in that situation. So that's kind of just piggybacking on Mindy's um, frustrations when people take dogs to the back to the shelter, like after a day, which is something that we do see a lot of. Um, And I sometimes do though feel compassion for those people it's frustrating for us to see for sure. Um, but they often come back in tears and, and until I actually witnessed it, um, several times people come back in tears and they're just like, I can't do this. And they, knowing their limits and we try to help them with, you know, training strategies and talking to our trainers and, you know, helping them understand the two week shutdown. And of course this is stuff we always go over before, but I, I think people are really well intentional, well intentioned and it takes it. I think for me, I think I wasn't in a good place to do all the work, but I did it because that's just my personality. I would never give a dog up. Like I just, I, I, she was mine. I adopted her. I made a commitment, but I was very, um, depressed. I went into a very deep depression in the process because quite frankly, it was exhausting. Um, it was very exhausting. Um, but in, in any case, I guess I just feel like, um, not everyone's up to it and like, that's okay too. Um, and people feel so much shame around that. I noticed, like I said, like when people will come in crying and then there's of course other people who could care less. They're just like, Whoa, this is way too much for me. Like, I don't want this dog. Just get rid of it. You know? Um, so there's definitely like the spectrum of it for sure. But, um, but it's sad, like seeing those people's like realizations of, especially first time dog owners who don't know what they're in for. And then that having been their first experience. So 
um, yeah, so I thought that was an important thing to bring up just the, like the emotional toll it can take on you and, and not everyone, everyone has their limits in terms of what they can handle. Liz, thank you for sharing that. That's a really important perspective to remember. So Mindy, when you were describing about uh, your new girl making eye contact with you um, for the first time, and that reminded me of something uh, that Tim used to do with Nino that I really think helped bonded them. So Tim, did you want to tell us about that? So um, every night I would, when it was I was going to bed for the night, he for whatever reason, would follow me in and hop into bed with me. He would lay down next to me and I would just lay there petting him and I would just talk to him and, you know, just telling him that, you know, he was safe, that this was his new home, that, you know, we're his family, we're always going to protect him and, you know, he doesn't have any reason to be fearful anymore, you know, we got him covered. Um, and, I mean, this was you know, something that played out every single night when it was time to go to bed. And after the, probably the second or third day of this, I noticed that he would then lay there kind of laying on his side and just stare at me. Um, and the whole time I was talking to him, he would just like stare right into my eyes, which, you know, for him, that's a big deal because, you know, he just doesn't, do that with people. In fact, his, his main strategy is just to kind of just avoidance, um, and not really connect with people. He doesn't like his space being, you know, encroached. Um, but that was the one exception to the rule. And so when I saw that, like, I just made it a point that, you know, every single night when I went to bed, like I would always focus on that. And, you know, probably for the first, you know, six months that he was with us. Like, I don't think I missed a single night of doing that. And I definitely think that that helped him a lot. And now it's, he just sees it as his job to tuck me in every night when I'm going to bed. That's very adorable. Yeah. I think there's something really powerful with making eye contact with them. And when they, uh, for their, you know, on their own, take the initiative to make eye contact with us. Like that, that does really feel like it's a significant bonding. Liz, do you have anything uh, with eye contact that you've experienced with Millie? Not necessarily eye contact to be, to, when I think about it, um, you know, Millie was never scared of me or my husband, Jason. So she, she was always okay with us. Um, we were always able to touch her. She would snuggle with us. It was everyone else in the outside world. Um, one thing I did was, um, I would read books with her. I, I actually bought like children's books <laughs> about dogs and, um, I would just read to her at night in bed and I felt like it helped us bond. Um, and I, th I think she was, I think she was always bonded to me, but it really helped me bond to her. I felt like I was like reading to a baby and I was, I was reading like happy stories about loving dogs. And that was something that was really special between us. Um, and we, I think we developed a very special relationship with some of the experiences we had together in terms of, um, like the agility class we took, 
um, and walking and her understanding that I'm going to always make her feel safe. Like when she wants to go home, like we're going to go home. I'm not going to put her in a position where she feels uncomfortable. Of course, to a degree, I mean, there's a certain level of challenging to grow. (laughs) Um, but with a dog like her, it, I think it would be more detrimental. Um, so I think those are the main ways that that we had bonded and we're incredibly close now. I mean, she sleeps up against me every night. Um, she is such a, a sweet, loving dog in our home, um, much like Tim described. So Liz, I have a question. Are you home most of the day with Millie or did you ever have the hurdle of separation anxiety with her? Cause it sounds like she really attached to you early on. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I first got Millie, I was working at home. So I was home all the time. Um, So when the times that I did go out in the beginning, she was destructive in the house, for sure. Um, You know, we would come home to um, our carpet being ripped up. She chewed through a door frame once. um, And that wasn't something that I was prepared for. And so that kind of just added to this layer of like frustration, I guess. And I didn't understand what separation anxiety was. Um, I didn't understand like that's why she was doing it. And so, so that's a great question. And we, uh, we tried to crate her. She had a very negative association with crates um, because the shelter she was at just used crates. And so she did not want to be in a crate. So we ended up, um, gating her in a bathroom, like a very large bathroom. So she had her own space and she did well with that. Again, I always, I didn't want to ever put her in situations where she felt unsafe. So I'm glad that I had that option. Um, but eventually I think it was part of just, it actually ended up being my husband. And I say this now, like good for her to spend more time alone because it helped her confidence. Like after a while, like after a few months, we're like, okay, we're going to leave her alone again and for a little while and see what she does. And she was okay. And she realized we would come back and that actually helped her become a more confident dog because she realized she could be away from us. Now she never had the terrible separation anxiety that I see in some dogs that, you know, are chewing through their crates, um, injuring themselves and don't get through it as quickly as I guess Millie did. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think we had a codependent, like a dysfunctional codependent relationship in a lot of ways. Um, just because I just, I I was very isolated working from home. I was very depressed because my dog had just died. So even though she wasn't the dog I wanted, I was constantly trying to mold her into like my sidekick. Yeah. I think that's, what's going to be going on with me and new girl. Cause even when everyone goes back to work, you know, at some point during all of this, um, I'm going to be home all day with her. So we're going to be really spoiled with each other's attention. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring that up because I actually, I don't work from home anymore. I got a different job and that was, um, I was really nervous about that because one of the challenges that we have is we can't have a dog walker because she has barrier aggression. So, or barrier reactivity, I should say it's a better way to put it. Um, she, if someone comes into our house, she, because she's very protective, Um, but we can manage it by, you know, giving her treats when we, you know, when we're with her and we like slowly introduce her to the person. But if a 
person comes into our house without us being home, she will freak out. I mean, I wouldn't trust her with, with anyone. Um, we've tried dog walkers and they haven't been able to successfully take her out because she's been growling so much that they're afraid to come in the house. And I, I would quite frankly be afraid to have a dog walker. So it was actually pretty limiting to our lives in the sense that, um, I felt that she, I was the only one who could, you know, take her out. And I didn't feel the freedom of just being able to have a job and be out for eight hours. Um, so what we ended up doing was taking her to daycare. Um, and, and I will say too, I think there's a certain level too of like having the resources to do certain things because like daycare is really expensive and it sucks and we hate having to spend the money on daycare. Um, because, you know, because she can't have a dog walker and, you know, we do it because she's our dog and we have no other choice. Um, and you know, we don't do it all the time anymore. Um, especially ever since we got a new, another dog to keep her company. But, um, you know, there, there's those challenges and there's also, you know, challenges in in terms of resources when you have a really difficult dog, like, you know, we spent a lot of money on training, a lot. And, you know, that was a stretch and it was another thing that I didn't necessarily sign up for, but I did, you know, I did it because she was my dog. So I think too, that, um, you know, I feel grateful that I was able to do those things, but I, you know, I, I know that's not something everyone can do. And I, and I kind of feel like that's why some dogs just aren't going to be a good fit. And that's, and I guess I take a more compassionate view. Like, that's okay. Like I get it. You know, this is not the kind of dog you're equipped to handle. And, you know, and, and I think a lot of that too, like, it's not just like, like financial resources, but it's also like mental health. And, you know, cause I, I know this dog just like threw me off. <laughs> like I want to do a deep, deep depression. So I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but, um, but one thing that did help definitely with her separation anxiety is getting another dog because now she can stay home and, um, and she's fine because she has her buddy with her. Um, and they play all the time and they just love each other. And it's been really cool to see her evolve. Um, and at first I was a little jealous, like, Oh, she likes this like other thing better than me, (laughs) you know, but I'm so, I'm so happy for her that she has that, that connection. That brings up a point that I had wanted to make too, um, is, uh, when we have a fearful dog, uh, having another dog that's more confident and more comfortable, um, can be, you know, a comfort for them. Um, and I know Liz, you know, you're, you've definitely seen that, you know, with, with Millie. So Tim, what do you think about Nino and Penny? Um, I definitely think that Penny has helped him, um, and, even before them, when we had Lucy and Kalua, I think that, you know, Kalua would get very nervous about things, but I think that Lucy really helped to help to make her feel more confident, um, outside the house. Yeah. It's funny. I wouldn't, for a long time, I don't know that I would have considered Kalua a fearful dog. Um, but looking back on it, I realized how much of her behaviors were like sort of anxious and fearful now um and how thankful I am that we had her before we ever had Nino do you feel the same way yeah absolutely I you know it's interesting when I think about all of our dogs you know some things they've shared in common but 
each one of them have been very different and unique in their own ways. Um, each dog that has come into our house has taught us more about, you know, what it means to be a dog owner and that you can't just take a one size fits all approach, you know, with your dogs, you really have to kind of let them lead the way. And then, you know, they'll tell you what is wrong and what they need your help with. Yeah. I definitely think that something that, you know, we're, we've all discussed on different levels and, and touched on is like how we feel like we have to, you know, read our dog and recognize when our dog is telling us that they're uncomfortable and, and how we respond and react to that. And, you know, that's something that Tim and I, I think still kind of struggle with, with Nino, even though he's been with our family for four years is we're kind of never really sure where to draw the line, um, how far we should push him, you know, like with getting in the car, you know, there's times when he's going to have to get in the car, but we don't, force him to do it um unless like he absolutely has to of course then he's miserable the whole time and i i always go back and forth in my head about like well should we be doing more you know training of doing positive associations with the car or do we just let him be comfortable you know 99 percent of the time and just have to deal with being uncomfortable one percent of the time i even see it you know even when we take him on walks um you know he just he doesn't like strangers. He doesn't like people invading his, you know, his space. And I have noticed that he also does not, he's not particularly great with kids. Um, because I think because kids make a lot of fast movements and, you know, he likes to know what to expect. He doesn't like the unexpected. Um, so it has just gotten to the point where, you know, I think, in the early days of us bringing him home, you know, as you said, we've always kind of felt it, you know, felt the need to, uh, to have these good dogs that w could be ambassadors to the breed. And, you know, it's important. It's always been important for us to show people that, you know, pit bulls, you know, even the bigger stockier ones aren't this, you know, scary thing that a lot of people make them out to be that they're just normal dogs like any other. Um, but at the same time, you know, I recognize when he's uncomfortable and as much as I would love to, you know, have the ambassador to the breed, it's more important to me to have my dog happy and healthy and, you know, set him up for success rather than failure. So I'm not going to force him to participate in things that I would like him to do if it's something that, you know, he's not comfortable doing. So if somebody, you know, if we're out on a walk and a kid, you know, asks to pet him, I'll, you know, kindly declined. I'll say, I'm sorry, he's not good with strangers, but, you know, and then I'll point to Penny and I'll say, but she loves attention. So you can go and say hi to her. Um, and I, and I just keep walking with him. I just, you know, I don't let him, uh, get involved in, in the mix at all. And that seems to work out really well. And, you know, for the most part, people understand. So Liz, how have you uh, drawn that line for yourself with Millie about like deciding when to try to take her out of her comfort zone versus respecting um, her wishes? Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, I've gotten different advice because I've worked with different trainers and different trainers have different philosophies on that. And, um, 
positive, like positive reinforcement trainers, um, you know, will always say kind of gently push her, like, you know, have high value treats when she doesn't want to walk in, like get really excited and, you know, just, just, you know, try to change these associations. Um, and I can do that to an extent depending on, you know, how severe, I guess the noise feels to her. Um, and then I've also had like a trainer say to me once, and we didn't, I didn't do this cause I didn't feel comfortable. Like a trainer say to me once, like you're in charge, not her. Like she, you shouldn't be giving in to what she wants to do. Like you're the leader. You're, you should pull her because she's going to walk. Um, so sometimes it's hard to, to know. Um, but I think just like everyone else has said, like going with your gut and I kind of knew like, yeah, this is, a, I want her to trust me. I want her to, she feels safe with me. I want to keep this feeling of safety. So I think it's also about just, you know, knowing your own dog and knowing what they're going to be okay with. Um, so with Millie, I mean, you know, I, I don't have high value treats with me on every walk. Um, can't bring hot dogs <laughs> everywhere. And even when I do, sometimes she doesn't even care about them. Um, and I just try to make things exciting and try to push her a little and kind of like run a little bit to see if she'll follow, be like, come on, Millie, let's go, you know, and kind of get her excited. And sometimes she'll be like, okay, let's go, you know, and she'll walk. And then other times she's, she won't. And I've realized, you know, um, she, you know, we all have mood issues, right? Like we all have mood swings. We're in different moods, different days. Um, we're feeling more confident some days than others. And I've just kind of accepted that about her. And it's like, I just kind of let her be, you know, and I, I don't feel like, um, you know, I don't like that whole like alpha thing, you know? So I think I want her to be an equal to me and I want to respect her as an individual. So pretty much, um, that is the philosophy I take is I don't push her too much. And, and I think also by her feeling safe, knowing that we can go home, if she's scared, I've noticed that she'll stay out longer because she trusts that I'm going to meet her needs and I'm not going to put her in a scary situation. So Mindy, have you given any thought to how you're going to handle these situations with your new girl about how you'll decide when to, you know, have to push her to, out of her comfort zone versus respecting her boundaries or her wishes? Yeah, I mean, I knew that for the first couple of weeks she was here, I just wanted her to be happy. Um, so if she she does like um, chewing some things, so we've been giving her a lot of toys and just trying to redirect her, but I wouldn't dream of correcting her right now unless it was a dangerous situation because I don't want to go back to day one where she's like urinating herself every time a human walks up to her. Um, so I think it's really important to make her super comfortable build that bond. And then I'm, my philosophy with her is just take it one day at a time. Um, thankfully she is a lot smaller than I thought she was going to be. Um, so I can pick her up right now and take her to the car. Like we had to for the vet yesterday. Um, and if she does get into something and like if she chews one of my door frames, it's only going to be, you know, a foot off the ground versus a couple feet off the ground. So um, I'm lucky in that she probably would do a little less damage than a lot of our pit bulls would because I know we've all been um, pit bull owners. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of on the same page with Liz. Like I want her to be my equal. I want her to be happy and safe. Yeah, we've really tried to respect Nina's boundaries with that, but I, I guess – yeah, sometimes I just always wonder how much we should do or push or not push. And it just always causes me inner turmoil. <laughs> I just always kind of thought of it as, you know, pick your battles. 
you know, at the end of the day, is it really that big of a deal, you know, if he doesn't do a particular thing? I just hate to like then stress him out. Like, like I said, like with the car ride, like yeah. then I just feel like he's so stressed out on the times it does happen. But, you know, I guess it, that's just how it's going to be. <laughs> One thing I've noticed too, like in terms of pushing them, um, Millie's okay in the car. So it's been okay to take her places. And someone had suggested agility classes to us. And I have a, a friend who does agility and she's like diehard agility. And I was always like, that's kind of weird. Like, I, I don't know. I don't need my dogs jumping through hoops and doing all these like fancy tricks. <laughs> but, um, she said, you know, I think it would be really good for Millie's confidence to do agility. So, you know, I was like, mm, that could be kind of a cool way to bond. I mean, we just did this. I, we started it after I had her for like a year and a half. So it wasn't something we did right away. But it was actually pretty amazing because I'll never forget, like the first agility class we did, she was absolutely terrified of like, you know, even just going on um, like a seesaw <laughs> type of thing um, because of the noise it made or even like going near a hoop. And the, the trainer had said, just have her stick with it. You'll see like an amazing change and, and watch her watching other dogs do these things and accomplish these feats made her, she kind of followed and she became so confident from the agility that she would get so excited when we'd go to classes because she got to see herself master things like, and she was just being brave. And I don't think she ever thought of herself that way before. So that was a really interesting turning point for us. And I think that confidence really spilled over into other areas of her life because we noticed a shift, um, definitely a shift. She started going near people more. Um, and she just, just, just not as like on alert all the time. Um, so, so that was, I guess, an example of pushing. I had like, even though she hated the first class and was shaking, I trusted what the trainer said. And, um, and in that situation, it, it, it really worked. That's a really good example. That reminds me of, I guess, one of the things that Mindy had started to touch on. And, and I know, um, Tim and I have, have talked about with Nino also is like just celebrating the small victories, um, where it might not seem like a huge thing to somebody else that, oh, good, our dog didn't pee on a person. Um, you know, like Mindy's like, woohoo, I took her to the vet and she didn't pee, you know, and um, it really sort of like reframed, you know, how we sort of looked at their small victories. Um, Tim, can you think of any with Nino? I'm thinking of like when he very first like would roll over and like show his belly to us. And we were like, Oh yeah, he finally feels comfortable to do that. Uh, yeah. Um, I actually, the, the thought that had come into my head was when we went out of town, um, and Liz kind of touched on this with, you know, the whole dog walker, um, daycare situation. When, when we knew we were going to be going out of town for a week, that was, that brought on a lot of, uh, stress and anxiety because, you know, we're kind of in the same boat, you know, we can't have, we can't take him anywhere to be somewhere else because he needs his, his routine. He needs his, his personal space. Um, otherwise he's just kind of nutty, but at the same time, because he doesn't particularly like other people and especially them coming into his space, you know, 
we ran into the same situation. You know, we can't have a dog sitting service come over um, because we're kind of concerned, you know, is he going to bite them, you know, when they go to take him out of the crate? Um, not because he's aggressive, but just because they're invading his space. So, you know, having a friend come over and, you know, let him out of the crate and take him for walks and um, stay here with him that week, I think was a huge accomplishment for him because, you know, he's not really great with other people, but it did push him out of his comfort zone that he had to put up with our friend staying here for the week um, and kind of, you know, listen to him and follow his lead. That was a, a huge deal for him. And, you know, every day I was just worried that we were going to get a text message saying, oh, shit, I'm in the hospital. <laughs> I'm getting stitches. But that didn't happen. So that was that was good. It was a victory for all. Tim, I can so relate to that because um, we have, uh, I have a friend who lives in my neighborhood who I walk with a lot. Um, so Millie feels comfortable with her because she's so used to um, my friend, Jamie. And whenever we walk, Jamie always has treats. She just, she she doesn't even have a dog, but she buys treats just for Millie. <laughs> um, and she's very patient with Millie. So Jamie said to me when I started working in February outside of the home, Jamie said, um, I can help you. Like I can, I can walk Millie during the day. And I was like, oh no, no, no. I would never <laughs> put you in that position. Cause just like you said, Tim, I thought, oh my God, she, like she's going to attack her. And it's going to be this, I was just waiting for this call. Over time, we actually, I consulted a trainer who actually thought, gave us good advice on like doing it slowly, like having her come in while I'm already in the house and things like that. And, and, you know, long story short, she walks with Jamie, um, and she gets excited when Jamie comes in. Um, now with the pandemic, it's been several months since she's had that opportunity. So I don't know how she'll be, but point being, it's just that it was such a huge accomplishment that that I found one person that she was feeling safe with. And it's interesting too, because with the daycare situation, I don't think she loves daycare because, um, just, I think it's just a lot of stimulation going around. There's a lot of dogs, there's a lot of people, but she is not, she's okay with the staff at daycare, even though she's very shy around people. And I had a trainer tell me that it's because she almost, she started going to daycare like very soon after we got her. And it's almost like she associates it with her second home. <laughs> so like the people there are people that she's used to. And just like, she feels safe in our home. Like she feels safe. And it's like another home environment for her almost. So, and I think like a lot of it, like just going back to like, traveling and when we have to leave them and the stress of that, like so much of this has just taught me how to be more solution focused instead of just like wanting to cry and break down and be like, I can't do this. I can't handle it. Which like used to be my go-to like years ago, just about life in general. Um, having a really low tolerance for being overwhelmed or frustrated. And like, I guess to see that progress in myself too is kind of cool. And I wouldn't have that if it weren't for like how she's challenged me. And, and I think, you know, now, just like when Toby died, I had expected to get another dog who was just like him and really easygoing. I really think that, you know, my next dog, I would probably take on one of the challenging ones. And that is 
a crazy thing for me to say. Like that's a total 180 shift. Um, just because I've learned how rewarding it can be. It's a lot of work, but like, I know that I can do that work. And I know that, um, I, I want to be able to, to, to do that for a dog that can't just go to any home. So that, that's a huge shift in me as well. And just kind of, um, the changes that, that I've had to go through as a person and adjusting to kind of this, this new normal with her. Yeah. I think dogs are just always our, our greatest teachers. We don't get the dogs we want. We get the dogs we need. Absolutely. (laughs) We may not realize it at first, but we come to realize it. Yes. Uh, So Mindy, you know, I guess, looking at the the challenges, you know, that you're going to have with your new girl, um, you know, what a great situation in that you'll be able to be home with her, you'll be there to bond with her. You know, there's a lot of times when Tim and I have thought, like, thank goodness, you know, that Nino ended up in our house because we have such a quiet routine life that he thrives on. So I think it is very fortunate that, you know, she ended up with you. I agree. Um, And she... She had her one-year birthday, actually, with us a few days after she came home, and I was just, I'm, you know, keep thinking, like, if she had been there much longer, like, how much more, like, semi-feral would she be, and, you know, I can't imagine trying to put a leash and collar on a four-year-old dog that's never had it versus, you know, one-year-old who's still kind of, you know, green and a pup. So I'm glad I got her when I did. Absolutely. Are there any other small victories that you want to celebrate with her so far? Um, yeah, actually. So the day she started bringing toys into bed with me instead of household items was really <laughs> awesome. I woke up surrounded by, by like a stuffed gecko and her new little Kong. And I was a proud mom that um, I did not wake up to... Um, pens and nail polish bottles and because we've never puppy proof the house because um, our dogs are older and they you know just get it but um, we've been puppy proofing as we go along because she is fascinated with all of our stuff she's probably never seen it before no no I think when she was inside of a house she was literally shuffled directly to her crate and then shuffled right back outside well it's so hard to imagine yeah, I know we don't know a ton about Nino's previous situation. Um, all we know is that Baltimore City Animal Control actually pulled him out of a house that had been um, received many animal control violations. Um, so we always imagine that he, you know, had probably, you know, maybe been in like a basement, but he had definitely not been in a house and heard, you know, the dishwasher and the washing machine and, and things like that. Or even know how to navigate a kitchen floor. Oh my gosh, he still like doesn't know how to navigate the kitchen floor. <laughs> now that reminds me, um, our boy Corbin that we got from Barks, um, our super absolutely perfectly behaved dog. Um, when we got him, he had no idea what a car was. Like I would even suspect that the dude like walked him there to turn him in because he had no idea what was going on with the car, like starting it, shutting the door. Um, he was used to our house and he was pretty okay here, but the car thing totally threw him. Liz, um, what do you know? Do you know anything really about Millie's background? I know that she was pulled from a high kill shelter in West Virginia. 
um, and brought to Baltimore. That's really all I know. I think my, of course, you know, we all wish they could talk and tell us where they're from and what their lives were like. My suspicion is that she had never really had experience being around people. I think she was probably an outdoor dog, somewhat feral, um, just like I said, she wasn't used to a house. Like she did not even want to go through a door, a doorway to come in the house. Um, and I just think, I just think she probably was outside and I'm not sure exactly like if she was, you know, just left outside, if she was owned by someone or if she just was a stray for a lot of her, you know, she's only five months when we got her. So, but she just, she definitely wasn't socialized at all. So that's the best I could, I could surmise. Mindy, I hope that you can feel comfortable in knowing that, you know, you're doing all the right things so far, especially just with going with your gut and respecting her for the dog that she is. Maybe we'll have you come on time to time and just give us, you know, some updates. I know, um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes because Liz has a Facebook group that she's a part of, and I have actually joined it and been following along for Nino's sake. The name of the group is um, Shy and Fearful Dogs, the Extraordinary Dog Community. I'm in it now too, actually. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, they have a really, they have a great resource. And, you know, I guess just from like the support, you know, moral support kind of kind of thing, I, I think it's good. And, and I love how they call it extraordinary because I never would have thought of this kind of club as extraordinary. And it really is. Um, and it's great to read some of these posts because it's, it's, it's all these people who have the same experiences as us. And it's like the things people don't talk about and there's so much support in this group. Um, so I would highly recommend it to anyone who is going through anything like this. That was part of why I wanted to have some of these like round table episodes where we're all like discussing just the various ways that different things with our dogs can, you know, impact us. So I wanted to thank everybody for being here today. I really appreciate you all sharing, you know, your experiences so honestly. This is great. Thank you so much for bringing us all together. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening, everyone, to the first ever Dog Mom and Dad Roundtable episode from the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm really excited about this, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to have more roundtable discussions, including past guests or listeners, about any kind of different topics. So if that's something you'd be interested in, please shoot me a DM on social media or an email to Erin, E-R-I-N, at believeindogpodcast.com. And let me know what kind of roundtable discussion you'd be interested in participating in. I really loved this discussion with Tim, Liz, and Mindy. I have a list of common themes and takeaways that we discussed during the episode, and I'll list these in the show notes also. Uh, first, I think we all expressed how difficult it can be as pet parents to see our dogs being scared. And it might even make us question our own decision-making or question our judgment about the decisions that we're making for our dog, especially if this is the first time that we're encountering such a shy or fearful dog. That it's really important for us to be honest about who our dog is and what our dog's limitations and boundaries are, as well as our own personal limitations and boundaries are, because it can take an emotional toll on us, and that's okay. 
and that one of the most important things for us pet parents to do is to adjust our expectations to be realistic for our dogs. Dogs are not one-size-fits-all creatures, just like people aren't one-size-fits-all creatures. And so if we really want to have success with our shy and fearful dog, we really need to adjust our expectations. And sometimes it might hurt us to do this or we might feel some disappointment or maybe some other type of negative emotion or guilt around that but it's okay to acknowledge but not necessarily dwell on these feelings but to move forward with the adjusted realistic expectations for our dog and it's okay to ask for help whether it's going to training classes working with a trainer one-on-one finding a support group on Facebook or on the internet, finding a trainer's website that has wonderful information that you really resonate with for your dog. You're definitely not alone when dealing with a shy and fearful dog. And I guess that's always been one of the goals of my podcast too, is to always let you know that no matter what kind of situation, no matter what kind of emotions you're having around your relationship with your dog, you are not alone. There are many of us out there who are going through these same things, and I hope today's roundtable was an interesting way to get different people's perspective and hear different people's experiences about how they have dealt with a shy and fearful dog. One thing that came up in our discussion was about the importance of celebrating the small victories. I think having a shy and fearful dog will put those small victories, whether they walked across the kitchen floor today or they got into the car without a problem, it really makes you start celebrating you know, these little small moments. And I think dogs are such amazing teachers for us about living in the moment. And, and when we have these little types of small victories, it's important to recognize and acknowledge and enjoy that moment with our dog. We might have to step out of our own comfort zones and grow as people in order to help our dog navigate a scary world. It might be uncomfortable for us to say, oh no, our dog doesn't like to be pet, or to make sure that we are keeping our dog safe from other people or other dogs that we encounter, because we always want to set them up for success. And that might mean making ourselves uncomfortable or, or stepping out of our own comfort zone to advocate for our dogs. Again, our dogs are often our greatest teachers in those kinds of things. I also really enjoyed hearing how everyone described how they started to bond with their dog and the different things that they did, as well as I appreciated Mindy sharing her experience of trying to adopt a dog during COVID. Now, you may have picked up during the episode that we had actually recorded that a couple months ago, and I thought it was really interesting to be able to have that discussion with Mindy, particularly when everything was still so new and raw with her experiences and her emotions of bringing this new dog home and into the house. And I wanted to give you a little bit of update now from Mindy about her dog. She did eventually find a name for her. Her name is Juniper, and her nickname is Junie. And Mindy shares that Juniper is now the queen of her castle. Once acclimated to us and our home and our other pets, she has blossomed. She is still very anxious with new people or in new places, but in time, we're hoping we will boost her confidence. She's a completely different dog now, thanks to love and a little bit of time. I also wanted to give a quick update from Liz also. Of course, Liz did end up losing their hospice dog, Dusty. They had 82 days together with him total, and they knew going into it that he had a lot of health issues, and they actually got even more time with him than they had expected. 
And then as for the addition of Ethel, Millie and Ethel are totally bonded. Millie, of course, is Liz's fearful dog, and Ethel is the new addition. She said that overall, Ethel's presence and companionship has really taught Millie how to dog. She approaches people on the street when she sees that Ethel wants to go up to them, and with the exception of noises, she walks a lot longer than she would when it was just Millie and Liz. We all love to hike together, and Millie totally follows Ethel's lead, so that has really opened our lives up a lot. And it also sounds like Ethel is respective of Millie's boundaries when Millie's had enough and wants to go home. And Liz also had a awesome revelation about herself as well that I wanted to share because I think it's both brilliant and beautiful. Liz was sharing that sometimes if both Millie and Ethel are done for the night and she still wants to walk, she said that I miss having a walking buddy sometimes, but it hit me that I don't have to have a dog to walk or enjoy the evening. Sometime recently, I stopped getting frustrated and realized I could just walk by myself, and I remind myself that even though I had hoped and assumed that a dog would be a walking buddy, I have accepted that life doesn't always go as planned, and that's okay. I still enjoy walking. I often visualize Toby, that was Liz's soul dog, walking beside me on the times when I'm walking alone, and that's really comforting. Again, thank you so much to Mindy, Liz, and Tim for their time and for sharing so honestly all of their experiences with their shy and fearful dogs. One other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up this episode, I shared recently on social media, um, October 14th was actually five years since Tim and I lost our dog, Lucy. Lucy is the inspiration for the logo for the Believe in Dog podcast. And she also just changed my life so incredibly much. I share that story in episode one of the podcast. If you haven't heard that, I would encourage you to go back and listen. And I share how I went from a reluctant dog mom to dog mom AF, as they say. Lucy was truly an inspiration in my life, changed my life in so many ways. And I believe that dogs can be healers and teachers and inspirations to us. And I want to keep sharing these stories through the Believe in Dog podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's kind of completely different episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. You'll have to let me know what you think. You can find me on Facebook at Believe in Dog podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Believe in Dog podcast with underscores between each word. And you can always find me on email, Erin, E-R-I-N, at Believe in Dog podcast.com. If you'd like to show your support for the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll put the link in the show notes. It really does help more people find the show. You can always just tell a friend or share an episode with a friend also. I certainly appreciate your word-of-mouth support as well. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast, and this is Erin Scott. Until next time, I'm sending hugs and belly rubs. Bye!